All right, well, it's go time. The Texas primary is now less than one week away. And while this is an off-year election, there are plenty of big races on the ballot. Yeah, plenty. Tonight, we break down those races. We're all gonna, also going to discuss the importance of the Latino and youth votes with our panel from Trinity University. That's right. Now let's go ahead and introduce our guest. Joining us now is Juan Sepulveda. He is the president's special advisor for inclusive excellence at Trinity. We are also joined by Jamie Thompson. She is the assistant dean of students and director of student involvement. We want to thank you both for being here. We also want to welcome in our audience, not only on the KSAT streaming platforms, but also the Trinity streaming platform. So we've got some students and we hope we get questions from all of them tonight. Mm -hmm. First off, though, for, for you two, and, and, and Juan, I want to start with you. Um, early voting started Monday of last week. There are a lot of people that are talking about how that favors Democrats. It's popular with the youth vote. Um, but when we talk about the Latino vote, Republicans have been making a lot of noise about the fact that they think they're making inroads with the Latino community. Do you agree with that? Are you seeing that? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. I mean, you, you definitely saw kind of a move in 20 with uh, with uh, President Trump getting a bigger percentage of the Latino vote than a lot of folks expected. And particularly, you've been hearing a lot about South Texas and, and in particular the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, but, you know, the question is whether it's going to kind of continue. You know, I always tell people that one thing that's important to understand about the Latino vote in Texas and nationally is that it's a swing vote. It's a persuadable vote. Right. And so. When I look back to 20, and when you're looking at the research, what people have, people who've looked at this, there's a lot of assumptions going on, but people who've actually done some of the research to look at what happened in 20, you see a combination of things kind of taking place. But one of the big things is just, I think, for the Democratic Party, to, you know, looking almost at the Latino voters like a robot, that they're just going to magically kind of show up and not really kind of, you know, think about how we always talk about the suburban soccer moms, and we see them as the swing voters in the past, and all the attention that you have to give to a vote early and cons consistently didn't happen last time, right? And so there's other kind of factors that kind of came into play as well, too. The Latino vote is not as attached to the different political parties. You'll see in general that there's a 10% higher than the national for other voters in terms of declaring themselves as independents. So once again, that, that I think that's a good thing for the Latino vote because that shows that both parties really have to work hard for them. But there's no doubt, if you look around Texas right now, the Republican Party is making a play, they're on the ground, they're talking consistently, and, and I think that's gonna be a challenge for the Democratic Party. Yeah, safe to say Democrats cannot take the Latino vote for granted anymore. Uh, and actually that leads to one of the viewer questions that we got from somebody uh, uh, in the Trinity audience. Many people say, quote, we need the Latino vote, end quote, but is it dangerous politically to categorize a diverse culture as one united block? Yeah, and I think, well, the viewer, that's a great question uh, from the viewer. And I think it's a couple of things. And, you know, and campaigns and the technology has gotten some more sophisticated. So even though we still have a, a tendency to talk about things like the Latino vote, we know that it's more complicated and campaigns can target beyond just the, the racial or the ethnic portion of it. Let's, let's go back to 2020 again, as Trump moved over and got more Latino votes. But when you look at it more closely, there was a gender gap. He did better with men than he did with women. There was a college educational gap. He did better with folks who didn't have a college degree compared to folks who did, right? So once you start to kind of look at those kind of things, there, there was a kind of a generational gap in terms yeah. of how he did better with kind of older voters. So I think you do have to be smart to not kind of pigeonhole into people. Just it's, it's one part of who your identity is. 
but we know it's just the, the full set of package of who you are as a voter that comes to play. And the campaigns are sophisticated enough now that they can take all those things into account as they're kind of targeting their campaigns. Yeah, that's a good point, Juan. And I want to go to Jamie now for this question. Now, when we talk about the youth vote, specifically when we mention that voting block, we're talking about 18 to to 29-year-olds. You know, the Associated Press did a poll back in 2020, if we could bring up that graphic to show people what we're talking about here. And it looked at how the election would have turned out had we only counted the youth vote. And the thing that this poll found is that Texas was uh, highlighted in blue. So there you have it right there. We're going to take a closer look right now. If we could just zoom in on Texas itself. Your eyes are not fooling you there. That is Texas highlighted in blue. And it shows that Biden won the youth vote in Texas by almost 30 points. And we expect that kind of energy during a, a presidential election when it comes to the youth vote. But Jamie, are young people paying attention to this particular election? It's a great question. Juan and I, uh, Dr. Sepulveda and I were just talking about that. I think that there's um, probably never enough conversation <laughs> um, uh, about these things. We always want want for more. Um, but I, you know, at least at, at Trinity, even, you know, this spring, we've, we've already had some early successes. If, if this is kind of an indication of interest, um, hosting, collaborating with a, an academic unit, our Humanities Collective to host uh, voter registration at one of their events. And um, the observation I made, and I was, I was just sharing this um, before we went on, was that I see that in the last couple of years, a, a communal aspect to voter engagement um, for, for college students. And um, the, the specific example is at, at the voter registration table just last week, we had partnered with, with Move Texas, which is a great local um, nonpartisan group. And um, students were registering to vote and calling their friends over, right? So... I think that um, our obligation as institutions of higher education is really to build on this momentum and this collective interest and this this um, peer um, peer element that's at play with our students um, because there is an interest out there. I think we need to make it as easy as possible as institutions to get them registered and get them out to vote. You know, Jamie, one of the questions that we have from, again, a Trinity viewer is what did you learn from running the Trinity Voting Task Force about what it takes to motivate young people to vote? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think our success in 2020 was the, the individuals themselves. Uh, so in building, building a coalition of individuals that included Dr. Sepulveda, other faculty, staff, and students. And so when I think about this work on college campuses, um, sometimes it's very formal and it's through um, ex, you know, departments and units that exist to do this work. And other times it's really informal. Um, but in either instance, I think it's about finding the right people and getting them on the bus and in the right seat, right? Um, and it, it's these individuals on our campus that are the ones that are, um, you know, they're the voice and the hands of this work. So, so they're the ones uh, creating campus messaging, um, developing educational programs, um, you know, ideas for celebration and, and events. And so I think our, our success was truly about um, and has been and will continue to be because we're, we're building that coalition right now is about the individuals who um, in, are, are passionate and wanting to to engage in this work on, on college campuses. And what is the big issue for young voters this election? This election, that's a I don't know that I've heard a single issue um, arise. I think that students are interested in building on what they saw in 2020. They want their voice to count. 
Um, and I think that's the important thing about primaries um, is that it's one thing to say when we get to November um, that, well, I, I'm just not pleased with what I see on the ballot. That's why the primaries are so important because this is your chance to make make that change and, and make that happen. And so um, I guess my interpretation of what that big issue is is that we should be getting people out to vote right now because this is the opportunity and this is the chance. Um, when it comes to November, it's it, it's uh, sometimes it's too late then, right? No, we need them then, but this is really an opportunity in our in our communities uh, to make a difference. Okay, now Juan, I want to go to you with this question. We know that more than 17 million people in Texas are registered to vote, but obviously because this is an off-year election, we are expecting that turnout to be a lot lower. How do Latinos factor into this when it comes to voter turnout now? Sure, sure. And I think once again, I think there's there's going to be a couple of things that. that when people are already starting to look at kind of predicting what's going to happen this time around. And I think the National Association of Latino Elected Officials in Maleo just came out with their projections, and I was just mentioning it to Jamie ahead of time. What's interesting is that they are, they are predicting that the turnout for the Texas Latino vote is going to be down apples to apples compared from 2022 in the midterms to 2018. Now, remember, 2018 was a huge turnout, right? Yes. And so whether it was 18, you know, that's apples to apples in the midterms. But it's always all about the political environment, right? And so you, you know, we're not, we don't have the really tough competitive races that you're going to see in places like Nevada or Colorado or Arizona, U.S. Senate races, those kinds of things. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case for us. So we're looking at a potential. They're looking at probably low 20s, 20, 21, 22 percent of the total turnout in Texas will be the Latino vote, which will be a decrease. You know, and so that's a challenge right now. It's, it, it, every four years, two or four years, whatever your political environment will kind of determine kind of the, the turnout. You know, we, and we, whether we you liked it or not at 18 or 20, with President Trump really kind of getting people, you either loved them or hate them, but it energized and, and led to huge increases in turn, turnout. That's not what we're expecting in Texas for the Latino vote. There is some potential for the Latino vote nationally and particularly in competitive states like Arizona, Colorado, Nevada for the numbers to go up. I want to ask your I want to ask you a question about the youth vote. We asked Jamie obviously about the youth vote. Are you sensing? I mean, forever we have heard. Well, if the youth vote gets energized, if the youth vote does this, if the youth vote does that, you uh, worked for Barack Obama trying to get the vote out. I mean, are you sensing that the young people of today are getting more energized about the political process? So I think the data tells us, yes, now we know in midterms elections, that's a different game, right? So like right. Jamie was just talking about. So, but I think once again, if we look at kind of the, 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 the trend moving upward, kind of up into 20, 18 and 20 with young folks, and even within the Latino vote, there was a huge percentage increase in some of those younger voters, more than was expected. So it's not going to be a surprise that it's, we're going to match what's going to happen for the entire electorate, where there's just smaller numbers kind of in, in, in the primaries, particularly when we compare to 18, when it was so once again, really heavily kind of engaged and polarized. But you, you see young folks who are really interested. And obviously, we see it on campus. And it's, it's, it's some of those big issues, right? So things like, are we going to get back to some new version of a new normal with COVID? You know, we know that inflation is hitting people's families, and that's impacting young folks as well, too. So it's no surprise that those things are still kind of really important. But, but primaries are different, and midterms are a little bit different. So I wouldn't take the, we should say that historically, there is going to be a decrease for everybody, including young people. But we shouldn't go against the trend that young people have been increasing in the turnout, particularly in the past few elections. 
and we're hoping that'll kind of come back again as we move to 24 and kind of moving forward. Yeah, and if you and Jamie can figure out a way to bottle that youth vote, you guys are, are you know, you guys are on a magic elixir there and you can start your own consulting firm and you'll have every candidate at your door. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Thank you both. We have Juan Sepulveda and Jamie Thompson joining us tonight. Thank you so much for your insight. Thanks, guys. Thank you both. It was a pleasure. You know, arguably the biggest race in Bear County is the race for Bear County judge. For the first time in 20 years, the people will elect someone new to lead Bear County. It won't be Nelson Wolf anymore. That's right. After what, 20 years? Now, yeah. we interviewed four of the candidates running for Judge Nelson Wolf's seat last week during, during our KSAC Q&A segment. And we asked them each why they decided to run. And here's what they said. In charge of the budgets, the big ticket items are the jail and the court system. And I'm the person that clearly has the most experience, depth of knowledge, the character, reputation to lead Bear County. I bring that key experience, you know, the, the budget experience, uh, infrastructure, health and human services. I bring a lot uh, to the table and I decided I'm ready to come home and lead the county. As county judge, I want to lead Bear County into the future, uh, build strong families and bring people together to make Bear County a safe and better place to live. I want to dig in. I want to help to bring this community out of poverty. We've had the same poverty rate since 1982. And I want to lead this community out of a post-COVID environment with big ideas and a bold vision. All right. Now, another contentious primary is the one for the 28th Congressional District. You've been seeing those ads all over the place. The Democratic challenger, Jessica Cisneros, has huge endorsements for her. We're talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and also Elizabeth Warren. But the incumbent, Henry Cuellar, says he has the support of the people from Texas, not those outsider celebrity politicians, as he puts them. We spoke with them both this week and asked why they are the right choice for Texas. Even though I do have the professional and the personal experience of being an immigration attorney and being born and raised in this district, so I can speak a lot to the challenges that people face. Um, but again, you know, going up against an incumbent and coming so close, I think that's just indicative that there is an appetite for change on the ground. I have produced for San Antonio, I've produced for Bear County. Uh, I think the last announcement was $75 million for the, uh, uh, for the uh, you know, uh, for the U.S. side creek. Uh, you know, a new courthouse in San Antonio, hundreds of millions of dollars for uh, on the American Recovery Terrorist Act. All right, so you have one candidate saying, I'm the change you need, and the other one saying, I have the experience that you need. Now let's introduce our next set of panelists. Joining us now is DeMonte Alexander. He's an area public affairs consultant. We're also joined by Kevin Wolf, the former Precinct 3 County Commissioner and City Councilman. He is also one of the OGs of this particular election night coverage as I like to say original guests is what OG stands for. Thank you both for being here. Uh, I really appreciate both of you guys taking the time. Let's start with the race for Bear County judge, particularly on the Democratic side. I can ask three different people in the community who they think is the front runner and I can get three different answers. DeMonte, I'm gonna let you go first on this one. Who do you think is going to win next Tuesday, Democratic uh, side. <laughs> right, right out the gate. Right well, out the gate, man. I'm not pulling any punches. Well, I mean, I think, uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steph. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Look, I, I think it, it determined a lot of factors, right? You know, there's been a lot of um, movement on the northwest side of town, up in the Alamo Ranch area that's tar starting to move more uh, on the conservative side of the vote. 
So, you know, one would say, I think Trisha's team would, would sees uh, some numbers there that they like uh, when it comes to those trends. But, you know, we know where Bear County has been historically. Uh, Bear County is deemed a blue county. And, you know, and most would think that uh, this race is between uh, Ivelisse and, uh, and Ina. And so uh, if I had a, I don't have a crystal ball in front of me, so I don't know who's going to win this race. But I mean, as someone who's been on the ground and someone who's, who's dove into those numbers, it's going to be the one who out-organizes. Who, who's the one that's going to get on those doors? Who's the one that's going to really segment those voter bases and really speak to voters where, the, where they're at? And I think that's the person who gets out there and knocks on those doors the most. We know hit, knocking on a door is three to one. And so whoever can do that strategically, along with uh, following up with good communication and uh, a very solid mail campaign, that'll be the victor, in my opinion. All right, let me, make, let me be the uh, devil's advocate here with you, DeMonte, because I could make the argument that Judge yeah. Peter Sakai has the most name recognition among the three Democratic candidates. And again, I want to stick with just the Democratic candidates first, and then we'll talk about Trisha's chance in November. But do you, you do not see Peter Sakai as the front runner in this race. Is that right? Well, and that's my that's my apologies there for leaving the judge out. I, I, the judge is I, uh, the judge is a very nice guy. Um, I mean, he's done so much with domestic violence working with uh, Judge Diaz and uh, Maria Villagomez at the city. So uh, I think the judge is, has, you know, I think most people would say that judge uh, is the most seasoned and the most ready uh, to take the seat. Uh, but I think, you know, he hasn't been the most public person. And so we know in elections that name ID is really critical. And so uh, I think that's going to play a factor here in, in this race. Um, you know, you have to get out there. You have to campaign hard. And that name ID is a real thing when it comes to people going to the ballot box. All right, Kevin Wolf, your take on the Democratic side of this primary. I, I know okay, that you, I you, you, enjoy, you really seem to enjoy that I asked DeMonte that question first. I didn't I notice do. that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you got that one first, DeMonte. Okay, I can tell you this, 100% positive that on primary election day, there will be no winner in the Democratic primary because We're, there's going to be a runoff. There's going to be a runoff. That's what I said. Okay, so give okay. me two names that are going to make the runoff. Ina Menares and Peter Sakai. Interesting. Uh, that's, but to, to your point, when you first started off with this this question, you know, you can ask three different people and get three different answers. Um, it, it has, I have not seen a lot of what I'll call differentiation uh, between those three candidates. Um, and I'm actually kind of surprised, not just on the Democratic side, but on the, on the county judge race as a whole, when you know we're having a turnover in that seat that we haven't seen in you know 20 plus years uh and and the level of excitement or lack thereof uh has has been kind of surprising to me but you asked the question on the democratic primary who do i see coming out i see uh ina and peter as as the folks in the runoff. I know you like to crunch the numbers, Kevin. I know you look at like who the early voting is, where it's coming yeah. from, Republicans versus Democrats. I mean, that's the that's the candidate in you right there. But yes. I mean, are yes. you seeing anything in the early numbers that give you any clue as to the Democratic side or maybe a clue that Trisha Berry has a path to victory when it becomes just her against the Democrat? So uh, sticking on the on the Democratic side, and one of the reasons why I, I picked uh, Ina is looking at where the votes are coming from right now. Now, it's very hard to tell because you can vote anywhere. 
However, people generally vote close to where it is that they live, and you can kind of infer from that whether they're, you know, are they are they Republican, are they Democrat, are they, you know, middle, are they conservative or liberal, that kind of thing. Uh, and what I'm seeing first uh, that is not good for Trish is that uh, D's are outvoting R's countywide. Mm. Uh, we were expecting a, you know, I don't know if we'd call it a a Republican wave, and maybe we'll see that on election day, uh, but we're certainly not seeing that during early vote, and, and D's are, as I said, countywide are outvoting R's. Uh, where I do see those D's coming in, those, those early voting sites that are high, are actually coming out of the state representative district that Ena currently holds. So I, I give her sort of an edge there because those folks are going to know her uh, better than countywide folks would know. Uh, so so those are my two thoughts on in regards to the numbers that I'm seeing coming out. I think, uh, you know, to your point, Steve, I kind of wrote them down. Uh, D's are at 28,000 plus so far and R's are at 26,000 in early vote, which, by the way, are very low numbers. Yeah, very low. Um, I think I think your earlier guests uh saying that you know we'll be lucky to get to 20 percent turnout uh yeah i think we'll be lucky to get to 20 percent maybe okay. lower so now let's talk about that district uh, 28th congressional race obviously this is the really hot one that probably the entire country is looking at because yeah. the republicans are hoping that if uh if jessica cisneros wins this that then they actually have a chance to win this over in, even though this is a very uh, highly democratic district um but we know that the incumbent Henry Cuellar, is, his home was raided by the FBI a few weeks ago. Do you think that this is going to, to make a difference? And I'll start with DeMonte on that. Yeah, I think it'll make a huge difference. Look, Jessica ran a, uh, a very, very good race last, last cycle. And, you know, um, as I was mentioning to Steve earlier, that helped her name ID, that helped boost her profile. And, you know, they have um, additional support by AOC and, and some other, like uh, former president candidate uh, Elizabeth Warren, and so I, I definitely think that it doesn't it definitely doesn't help him, but and, and I think it does help Jessica and I think Henry it could be in trouble coming down coming down the uh, at the end of the race. Do you think Republicans have a shot if it's Jessica Cisneros in this district? I don't. All right, Kevin. I don't. You're 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 from the other side. I mean, I I, <laughs> I have been told that Republicans are watching this very closely and that there are a number of Republicans. Obviously, Cuellar has crossover support. He gets some Republican support in that yes. district. Do you think if Jessica Cisneros, Jessica Cisneros beats Cuellar next Tuesday, that Republicans will target this race? There is, there is a path. It's a very, very narrow path. Uh, and it's a path that would cost that Republican a whole lot of money. Um, at the end of the day, it's still a Democratic congressional district. Um, I can tell you that, yes, there are a number of Republicans uh, that would like to see uh, Henry's challenger win uh, because, you know, they'll take great pleasure in, in painting the far left, uh, which personally I don't think is representative of, of Henry's district as a whole. Uh, and Henry may be right. You know, he, he may be able to pull out from, from this cloud uh, and get through the primary. That doesn't mean he's not going to get hammered in the general for it. Uh, so from a Republican standpoint, uh, I can see a level of excitement, uh, but a with with a little um, not caution, but uh, a little 
uh, holding back in that, you know what, it's going to take a whole lot of money to try to try to flip that that district R. But who are they afraid of? Who are the Republicans afraid of when it comes to Cisneros oh, or Cuellar? Most, most, most afraid of Cisneros. Absolutely. Um, you know, re Republican, you know, <laughs> the AOC, too, is what I hear most often. Okay? Right. Would they put that uh, on Cisneros? Right. Right. Do you think Cuellar, so, do you think Cuellar pulls this out? You know, it's it's real possible. I mean, you know, look 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 here in the recent past, especially, you know, a whole lot of candidates have have had in and office holders have had, you know, accusations, slip ups, those types of things. Uh, I can raise my hand personally on that uh, yeah. and still pull out a race. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah, I think I think Henry can pull it pull it off. Um, good gosh based on the amount of mail I'm getting from both candidates at, at the House as well as what I see on TV, uh, they, they're definitely pouring a lot of money into it. Uh, it it'll, be, it'll be really interesting to see if, if this chink in the armor is enough to pull Henry down in the primary. I want to talk about a, a district that you're also very familiar with, uh, Kevin, and it's Lyle Larson's old district. You've yeah. got a number of, and we're going to talk about just the Republican primary yeah. uh, to start. And DeMonte, I'm going to ask you this question next. Who's the favorite there? I mean, the commercials that we are seeing, I mean, it seems like there's a lot more money poured into this race than we've seen in the past. Uh, you have Adam Blanchard, you have Alyssa Chan that are advertising on TV right now. Are those the two favorites and are we headed for a runoff? Yeah, it, it'll definitely be a runoff, and uh, I'm picking Elisa Chan and Adam Blanchard in that runoff. Uh, I actually hosted a, a forum uh, for the North Chamber not too long ago with uh, four of those candidates. Uh, and, and quite frankly, uh, they all have very, very good answers to, to the questions, uh, and I can tell that all of them are working hard. Uh, however, looking at the numbers, looking at how they're running their individual campaigns, um, everything I'm looking at shows that it will be Adam Blanchard and Lisa Chan in a runoff for that seat. Yeah, and Lisa Chan, you know, obviously she served locally as well, so she has a little bit more punch in her name ID as well. So uh, mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about uh, the governor's race now. Yes. Yes. So we know. So we saw a poll from the Dallas Morning News that said that 49% of Texans are not happy. They're saying that the state is on the wrong track. Does that hurt Abbott in the primary? And what does this mean for Beto O'Rourke? DeMonte. So, oh, go ahead oh, first, yeah. Kevin. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay, so okay. Uh, I, <laughs> I would tell you that uh, I don't really think it hurts Abbott in the primary for the simple fact that he really does not have a strong primary opponent. Uh, you're hearing some stuff, certainly from, from what I'll call far right, uh, with Huffines and, and some others, uh, but I just I don't see a Republican primary candidate that can really pose a challenge to Abbott. I do see that that his uh, his favorability rates right now will hurt him in the general, uh, but I'll predict it for you right now. He's still going to win the general. He will win statewide. He will lose urban counties like Bear County, uh, but he'll still win statewide. Demonte. I can't disagree with that. But do you think Beto has any window? You know, look, I, I think Beto, um, you know, I think that presidential race hurt him. Um, I also think that, 
you know, obviously we haven't seen the Beto that we we first saw when he first came out. I just, you know, and even some of the, you know, Democrat or progressive folks are really not behind his campaign either. So, mm. you know, it's it's tough to uh, get behind Beto right now and say that he's, he's going to make an impact. But, you know, I think and with this ticket, you know, you know, Democrats, we need, you know, need someone at the top of the ticket to really push, push everyone else up. And right now, you know, we're struggling trying to find that person. You know? And so, you know, we're talking about, you know, Jessica Cisneros and, um, and uh, Henry Cuellar, right? Not, not that that's not an exciting race, but, you know, you know, we need somebody at the top of the ticket that really helps everybody pull up when it comes to these uh, countywide races that helps everyone else. And we're not seeing that right now. Do you think that Beto O'Rourke is uh, Wendy Davis 2.0? I think Beto O'Rourke is Beto O'Rourke, Wendy Davis is Wendy Davis. But, uh, <laughs> okay. I'll be more direct and say, yeah, that's uh, that that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, I, okay. yeah, it, it, and I I think it says something about the Democrats that the bench is is that shallow that that Beto is who who they tap to run for this race. Is there a Democrat statewide that can win in November, Demonte? I don't know that I can answer that question, uh, Steve. I honestly can't can't say that I see that right now, and, Not, I, and I wish I could. Mike Collier was close with the lieutenant governor Dan Patrick, yeah. you know, four years ago. I mean, I, I, is that a potential race? But if you're not seeing any, that that also tells me something. Kevin, you see anybody giving a, a Republican a race? I don't. Uh, if if the Democrats had fielded someone really strong and say for Attorney General. Uh, I think they might have had a shot there. However, the Republicans themselves have have fielded some primary candidates uh, that are going to give the attorney general a run for their money. But I don't I don't see a Democrat winning statewide yet. Okay. bottom line, I just want to ask you both one final question before we go. And I'll start with you, DeMonte, on this bottom line. What is the issue? This uh, this cycle right now, what is the issue that is getting people to the polls? Well, I mean, I think it's voting rights. You know, we, we've seen what we've seen, what over 8000 ballots uh, get get declined. Uh, we're seeing voting rights stripped away. We're seeing health care uh, being stripped away from folks. And so those are issues that, that people really care about. Right. And, and I think that's what's getting voters to the polls. I think that's why you're seeing an increase. I know you had a segment on uh, young and Latino voters earlier. I mean, that continues to increase. And I think those are the issues that people are fighting about. And those are issues that that's not a Democrat or Republican issue. Everyone should have the right to vote, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. We shouldn't be taking those rights away. And I think that's what's really charging people up and to get out to vote, in my opinion. Kevin. So from the Republican side, uh, certainly at a statewide level, uh, the the words I hear more than anything else are, are border security. Uh, and and it's it's interesting, uh, you know, right behind that is election integrity and election security. Uh, and and those kind of go cross purposes with something that DeMonte said in regards to elections. You know, uh, you know, if you if you ask a Republican uh, what's what's the danger in elections, they'll tell you security. If you ask a Democrat, what's the what's you know, what about elections? It's about the, the right to vote and the opportunity to vote. Uh, and guess what? They're both right. So so I agree with them that it, it's not really a partisan uh, issue or shouldn't be a partisan issue. Uh, but there there are two facets of it that that are one is held very strongly by Republicans. The other is held strongly by Democrats. Uh, but from a 
one issue, which was the question, I tell you for Republicans, it's border security. All right. I, will say, I will add to that and say, there's one of those issues and voting right. There's there's not a right, there's only a right thing about voting, right? Everyone That's should right. be allowed to vote. Security, yep. you can argue about that, but voting should be allowed for everyone any anytime anywhere. Two gentlemen I always love visiting with, and we will have you back on election night. DeMonte Alexander, Kevin Wolf, thank you very much. By the way, want to tell you election night, we're doing a very special breakdown. Yes. Uh, we're doing our election night live stream. It started many moons ago in a conference room here at KSAT 12, and we've moved uh, into much nicer surroundings, I can tell you that. But next Tuesday at 7-ish, probably 7.05, 7.10, when we get our first batch of numbers, we're going to live stream on KSAT.com. Kevin Wolf, DeMonte Alexander, and Molly Cox will be our power panel. Myra Arthur will also join Steph and I next Tuesday. And as we always say, it's not important to me or Stephania necessarily who you vote for, but that you vote. Please yes. exercise absolutely. that Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was that DeMonte yes. or something? No, I think it's there, Kevin. It's yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I got yes. Kevin Wolf. Hallelujah. Good. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm letting the Republican say that. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll All see right. you next Tuesday. Well, thank you. Good to, to both. see you, Kevin. Thank you. Both. You too, DeMonte. Yeah. See you. And for all of you who joined us during tonight's live stream, we so appreciate your company and just being a part of this conversation. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, and we hope that you keep joining us uh, because it is very important that we hear from you because we're doing this for you so we can keep the whole conversation going. Now, if you missed any part of tonight's live stream, you can go to our website at ksat.com slash breakdown to catch it. That's also where, by the way, you can read up on any of these issues that we discussed just so that you can use them as a reference point to learn more about the candidates and all the specific races that we've also broken down for you on our website. So again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We'll see you on the night beat.